Well, today we're going to continue on in the, the fool's letter that we've been talking about. And I want to start out with thinking about this. You know, one thing we use in our, probably really our daily lives, some people are good at it, some people are not, some people are funny, some people are just mean. And one thing that we use often is we use sarcasm, right? Sarcasm, right? Sometimes you can be really funny with sarcasm, but sometimes we don't use it in such a great way. And there's this one way I always think of. You ever had someone, and I think it usually often happens when we're kids, but not necessarily, someone says something really mean to you. It's not very nice. And then maybe you like kind of point it out, like, hey, you know, that was, oh, that was mean. And their response is something like, oh, well, I was just a joke. It was just a joke. And then they act like you're an idiot for not laughing at their joke. They say something mean to you, and they just sarcastically cut you down, and then they pretend it was supposed to be all this sarcastic, funny thing, and they slam you down one more time. I don't know if you ever had that happen to you. That really, really stinks when that happens, you know. If you supposedly said a sarcastic joke and all it ended up being was mean, you, you, I think the problem is working on the joke, right? You need to, you need to work on the joke. And today we're going to look at what Paul says here, and we're going to see that he uses an incredible amount of sarcasm. You know, it's, it's really almost too bad we don't live in the, in the first century like he did, and maybe we won't fully know till heaven, because I bet you the sarcasm drips even stronger if you knew the culture. So we were through verse 15 in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now we're going to 16, and we're actually continuing on kind of in their introduction. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I may boast a little. Remember he, when he was talking to this group, he was referring to the super apostles? The super apostles, right? It seems like the super apostles said he was a fool. And they had all this imagery of him saying, you bore, you know, you're able to bear with them. How come you can't bear with me? And now he says, don't think me foolish, but if you do, please accept me, because I'm going to boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. So he's saying, now... Now you let me boast a little. And he's saying, now this is not how God would want me to talk. This is not the, you know, how Christ would have spoken. But I'm going to boast like the fools boast. These newcomers, these super apostles that have come to you, they're boastful. And now I am going to take a moment to talk as they would talk. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. It's my turn. Very sarcastic. Verse 19. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. You see, you, you think you're so wise when you bore with them, when you listen to them. And of course, there's another example of our irony here. He says you bore with them. You think you're wise. Well, actually, right, they're not wise by being hanging out with these people. They have been fools. And then he says, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours of you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs. 
which why modern translations use that particular choice of words, I have no idea. It certainly doesn't clear it up for me. Or strikes you in the face. This is like the climax of the introduction. Paul uses the term bear with or put up with in verse 1, verse 14, and now verse 19. It says, you have bore with these people even though they make you slaves, they enslave you. I've got four E's. I almost had five. I tried. I tried five E's. So they, they enslave you. They devour you or exploit you. Probably actually financially is what he's saying here. They take advantage of you. This taking advantage is the work that is sometimes you for, for snaring a bird or catching a fish. They've taken advantage of you in some way. And this puts on airs means they exalt themselves. Let me read a quote, a definition. It says, when you put on airs, now this is like the wind, like the air that you breathe. It's like more like there's an air about you. If you ever hear that term, there's like a, there's an air about him. It's okay. When you put on airs, you act like you're the master of something. If you wear a top hat, you insist that everyone calls you sir or madam while you boss them around. Then you put on airs. Or strike you in the face. Many people think this is just an example of humiliation, but it may very well be these newcomers, these super apostles, have actually even gotten physical. He says, you bear with them. Then he says, very sarcastically, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Remember earlier in chapter 10 when he had said they had called Paul weak? He says, oh, I'm too weak. I couldn't enslave you. I couldn't humiliate you. I couldn't strike you. I couldn't take advantage of you. I was too weak for that. I'm not strong like these super apostles. You see the irony? But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. And as we get into verse 21b, the second part of verse 21, we hit the main the main part of the speech, the fool speech proper, if you will. This will go from 1121b all the way to 1210. We're, of course, not going to go through 1210 today, but this is the main part of his speech. Now, Paul, in this main part of his speech, might be mirroring or giving parody to the super apostles' speeches, so he might have heard what they said in their speeches, and he actually might be kind of giving a similar speech but twisting a little bit. And Paul is going to prove his ministry authentically replicates Christ's ministry. And he's going to sort of keep coming back to this idea of weakness, this idea of foolishness. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast at that. Here we go. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. As Paul compares himself to the super apostles, he says, I'm just as good as them. I mean, what we learn from this is we know these super apostles were definitely Israelites. Sometimes when it references someone being Hebrews, it's talking about them speaking Aramaic. But this is probably not the case. Weren't the super apostles great speakers, great orators? 
They almost surely spoke Greek if that were true. So he's not talking about Hebrews in that they spoke Aramaic. He's, he's talking about this nationality. They say they're Hebrews. So am I. And then he says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. See? You want to play the game? You want to boast? You want to brag? Paul says, I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman. I would never normally talk this way, right? I would never normally talk this way. I'm not speaking as Christ would have me speak normally, as Christ taught me to speak, but if we're going to take our turn boasting, let me do it like they do it. Let me bring the sarcasm. You want to play the sarcasm game? They're servants of Christ. I'm a better one. Now, Paul doesn't deny they're Christians, but I think when he talks about them being ministers of state, Satan early in the chapter, he doesn't think they're Christians, but they certainly think they're Christians, right? They think they're servants of Christ. One translation, this idea about a madman is, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am an even greater servant. And what's so interesting is when he goes on to give all the examples of how he's been a greater servant, it's exactly the opposite of what the super apostles would say would make one great. The super apostles, they came in and said, well, this is what makes you great. This is what you got to do. You got to be a great speaker. You got to be great at this. We don't even know all that they said to say would be great, but Paul goes the opposite direction. Continuing in verse 23, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. He starts here at the end of verse 23, the summary of all that he's going to take us through that he's gone through. And he says to himself, says to them, hey, what shows that I'm a true follower of Christ? Am I going to list all the great things I've done? I'm going to say I've led this many people to Christ. I'm going to say what a great preacher I've had. I've, I've, I've attracted this many to come listen to me. No, I'm going to talk to you about how I've worked. This labors probably is a reference to him when he's working on tents, not taking the money in order to have his ministry be stronger. Imprisonments, beatings, almost dying. This, this is what being a servant of Christ is like. Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. He's going to talk about two types of flogging. The first is Jewish. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And the reason they did 40 lashes less one is because if you lash someone 41 times and that person died, you'd be banished. And so they only lashed people 39 times just to really make sure they didn't accidentally go one, out, one over. If they, they didn't want to get in trouble if they died. The administrator, he would stand on a stone. The person that was going to conduct it, they would stand on a stone. And with all their might, with a redoubled calf strap, two straps attached to it, they would strike the person 13 times in the chest. 
and then 26 times in the back. The laws had provisions just in case the person that was getting beaten defecated, they urinated, or they died. It was so brutal that Josephus called the practice a most disgraceful penalty. And we don't know the five times that Paul happened. This did, you'd think he'd learned his lesson after one. What do you think, like, the fourth time had already happened? It comes to the fifth, and the person that's going to beat him, and they, they rip off his clothes, and the scars are already there. You haven't figured this out yet? Five times he went through this flogging. Three times I was beaten with rods, it says in the first part of 25. Now, the difference between the, the, what, what we talked about in the last part is this, is this is the Roman punishment. The other is the Jewish. See, the Romans would have a praetor. He'd proceed in public, and he'd follow by this other group, and the praetor would, be, would have this other group following, and they'd be holding bundles of elm or birch rods. And the praetor would command the lictor. He'd say, beat them with the rods. And this was meant to be a punishment and a deterrent. And three times, Paul was given the Roman punishment. What's interesting is, Paul probably never should have ever had the Roman punishment. Paul was a Roman citizen. Roman citizens were not supposed to be beaten with rods. But hey, I guess when a guy's especially bad, we can make exceptions, right? Continuing on with verse 25, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, and night and day, and a night and a day I was adrift at sea. He was stoned. This likely refers to the event at Lystra. You know, normally you would stone people for adultery, apostates, and blasphemy. This was supposed to be a death penalty. Paul survives. Now, these three shipwrecks, we don't actually know when they took place. We know there's a shipwreck, shipwreck later, right? The shipwreck to Rome, but that's later. That's beyond this time. So we know he's at least going to have four. We're not even sure when these three are. But there was, he traveled in leaky wooden vessels of antiquity. They had no life rafts, no meteorology to tell them when the weather was going to change or when the storms would come. When you went on the sea, you traveled with trepidation. Deaths and disaster on the sea were frequent. In total here, Paul is listed 11 times he was exposed to death. 11 times. And this is not a comprehensive list. I mean, if you remember back to chapter 1, he mentions another time he doesn't mention here. He says, let me tell you what it's like to serve. Let me tell you what it's really like to be a super apostle. What really qualifies you to be a servant of Christ? Is it strength? I just see Paul getting whooped here. How about you? On frequent journeys, going on to verse 26, in danger from rivers. When you would travel back then, they didn't have bridges in most places. So you'd actually have to cross the river by just like wading through it. And of course, if it was flooding, that wasn't so great. And of course, flash flooding probably meant you were going to die. 
Paul likely had to cross the rivers in Jordan, in Judea. He had to cross one in Orontes in Syria, Sidnus in Cilicia, the Meander in Caister in Asia, and the Strima in Axius in Macedonia. I probably didn't pronounce most of those right. He had to pass a lot of rivers, and he probably had to pass them more than once. In danger from robbers. You know, when, you, when you're in a rural area, and, you know, let's say it doesn't rain or whatever, your crops fail, you're broke and you're starving, and your options are like starve to death or, I don't know, rob people as they come across on the road, which do you do? You rob people as they come across the road. Traveling was very dangerous, especially when there were food shortages in rural areas. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. When he would go into cities, he'd minister. He'd have his own people trying to get him in trouble, get him killed. He had the Gentiles trying to get him killed. He got beaten by Jews. He got beaten by Romans. And then he ends up listing them all backwards in a summary form. Dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers in the sea. But then he lists one last one. One last one he hasn't mentioned yet. And you know, every time you read a commentary or you read something, and they say, here's all the options. Which one's the option that the author almost always thinks is the right option? The last one. It's the climax, right? This is the one. This is the one I really want you to pay attention to. Usually when you see a presentation, oh, I think we should buy this. Here's the options. Which is the option that the person really wants you to pick? Usually it's always the last one. This is the emphasis, danger from false brothers. This is the worst of all. And he expands on it in verse 27. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. So he continues to talk about these physical conditions, how they've affected him personally. Well, cold and naked is probably when he was, you know, either stripped and beaten or maybe on the shipwrecks. But then he says, verse 28, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. The final word that causes the deepest suffering that he leaves to the end in, all the, in both of these lists is this daily pressure and the anxiety for all the churches. You would think the people that Paul had gone and led to, the, led to Christ, that come to, come to salvation, they would be a source of endless joy for him. But which of all the things, of the 11 times he almost dies, of his own people coming after him, of the, of the Romans coming after him. What's the thing that causes him the most suffering? My anxiety for all the churches. You know, when they talk about why sometimes people leave the ministry, it's usually not the hours. It's usually not, probably not necessarily the pay. It's the stress. It's the stress. It's not the stress of how hard it is to turn the pages of the books you read or 
drive, how hard it is to drive to go visit someone. Those, those aren't hard. Those aren't hard. No. Construction workers do hard work. It's a stress. And this is the greatest difficulty that Paul says. Verse 29. Who is weak? And am I not weak? All these stories he gives, who's the weak one in all the stories? Paul. Paul's always weak. Hey, guys, you super apostles, you're right. I am weak. And that is how you should be. Jesus was meek. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall or who has been made to sin? The Corinthians have been made to sin. They made to fall, and I am not indignant. Or you might say, he inwardly burns. He's worried about them. He's upset about it because they've been pushed in the wrong direction. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. When Paul takes his turn to brag, Right? When he says, I'm going to do it like you do it. I'll brag just like you did. What does he brag about? He brags about his weakness. He plays the fool. He does as they would do. But then he kind of turns it on his head. Yeah, I'm weak. Just like you should be. Then we go through the next few verses here, and this is kind of an interesting few verses. As a matter of fact, it seems weird that they're in here. I'm going to kind of read them all together, and then I'll explain to you why I think they're here. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and escaped his hands. Why, why the reference to this story? It's, it's kind of a story we know. It just seems out of place. Let me suggest why this may be. Paul tells a story of him being laid downward, escaping. Who's, who's strong in this story? Not Paul. He's weaseling out in a fish basket, probably, in a window. So he won't be killed. We read a quote. No scaler of the wall bringing victory. He's not scaling the wall taking the city. No scaler of the wall bringing victory. He no crown of gold for his crowning victory. Rather like a coward in battle he escapes through the wall. And is lowered to the ground. In what may have been a fish basket. Folks, if we want to serve Christ, do we want to boast in our strength and how great we are? We must become weak. Weak. You know, probably the truth is we are weak. We don't really have to become weak. We just have to recognize how weak we are. You know, there's someone who gave a really good example, a really good 
illustration on bringing yourself low for other people. The greatest example, the greatest illustration, and that was Jesus Christ. King of kings, the Lord of lords, humbled himself, made himself weak, got himself beaten, got himself killed for us. Say, how do we be authentic, authentic Christians? How do we have, be authentic Christians like Christ, like Paul, not like the super apostles? We need to become weak. We need to humble ourselves. We need to realize that Christ was a servant. Paul imitated Christ to be a servant. And this is what we shall be. You know, I think we'll find when, when we do that, I think we find peace. Things will be well with us. When we have that relationship with Christ, and that peace, we realize we are weak and he is strong. It will be well with our soul. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning. And as, as we look at all that Paul went through, all that Paul went through, all the struggles, all the suffering, all the pain. Lord, we know he did this because he was just following the example of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we too would look to Christ and that we would be servants that we thank you so much for your son Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus name.